Well, welcome to our, our last Sunday where we're looking at a focal subject in our study on how God changes us. We've been working through this series called Transform. And we've been looking at ways in which God needs to change us, the way God really kind of intervenes in our lives to change us so that we can actually become the people that He's created us to be in Christ Jesus. And, and really the heart and soul of that is so that we can really experience God at the deepest level of what we've been talking about. And we've been working through a series, and it's been, here's our theme verse, and I'd love for you to say this with me. It's been Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and I'd love for you to say this along with many of you have already got it memorized. If it's in a different translation, just bumble through it. It's okay. Use your version. It doesn't matter. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we learn how to cooperate with God's activity to transform us so that changes the way we think, you and I are actually going to be able to live our lives where we know God's will every single day. There's no better way to live than that, than knowing what it is that God wants us to be doing every single day. And the last couple subject matters we've been dealing with are a little different than the earlier ones. The, the earlier ones, we, you know, we looked at spiritual health, we looked at our physical health, we looked at emotional, mental, and relational health, and these are big pieces that kind of spread across a lot of dynamics of our lives. And yet, what we've dealt with the last couple of weeks are, are, are things that you and I cannot avoid. They are pervasive parts of our lives, and if we don't figure out how to somehow understand how God integrates those into our spiritual development, the way God changes us, the way that God grows us, the way God uses us, then you and I really don't have a prayer of actually becoming the people that God intends us to be. And, and the two elements that I'm talking about, last week we looked at our financial health. We just looked at the, the role of stuff in our lives, right? And, and part of our premise was that for most of us, maybe starting with the age of 18 and going forward, there, there just doesn't, a day does not go by that we don't have to deal with the issue of money in some way, shape, or form. Do I have any money to spend? Do I have any money coming in? How much do I owe? Whatever. It's, it's always there. And, and there's this, this pervasive part of our lives, which is dealing with the stuff of the world, the wealth stuff, the, the money, the resources that God's given us, that if we don't find a way or understand how God uses those to grow us, shape us, equip us, uses us as an instrument of His grace, and you and I really aren't going to experience transformation at a great level. The other piece of that, and we're going to look at this today, is our vocational health. We're going to be looking at our work lives. Now, I don't want to depress you as we get started, but let me do a little math for you, right? If you spend eight hours a day sleeping, that gives you 116 hours a week that you're awake. If you spend 40 hours a week at work, and some of you are saying, I wish, and that's just the hours at work. That doesn't involve the time getting ready to go to work, commuting to work, coming home from work, shaking work off so you can do something else. Whatever. It doesn't have a, but just 40 hours a week, that means you're going to spend almost 33% of your adult life at work. 30% of, 33% of your waking hours, if you will, are going to be spent at work. So think about it. If you work from the age of 22 to the retirement age of 67, at least that's what it is for me, that means you're going to spend 15 years out of the 45 years that you're an adult 
at work, just doing stuff. Now, again, I'm not trying to depress you. (laughs) But here's the point. If work doesn't somehow fit into the activity of God in our lives, then we don't really have a prayer of getting anywhere spiritually. I mean, you you can't take 33% of your life, your awake life, you know, and, and when you add all the other pieces, you, you, you can't do that and, and somehow experience God's best if work doesn't fit into God's plan for who you are and what you're supposed to do. So I want to talk to you today a little bit about how is it that work fits into God's agenda for us so that it is actually a part of the way that God transforms us, changes us, moves us forward. And, and I'm going to land on two Scripture passages And the first of those is in Genesis chapter 2. And I'd love for you to grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2 with me. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, this is going to be easy to find because it's on page (laughs) 2. All right? And the next passage we're going to look on is on page 1002. So you're just going to move over 1,000 pages as we get over to Colossians 3 in just a moment. I I just want to look at a single verse. Many of you are going to immediately recognize this in context. This is the first the chapters 1 and 2 of the, of the book of Genesis deal with creation, right, and how God created the world and created man. And out of that, in verse 15, we read this single verse. It says, Then the Lord God took the man, and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to relax forever. To just leisurely stroll. Through. It says, He placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it. And watch over it. Now, there's a number of wonderful pieces in here, and but I want to start out with this statement right up front. You and I are made in the image of God. The scripture tells us, and you can see this in verse three, that for six days God worked and then he rested. Now we've talked about resting Sabbath earlier under physical health. But what I want you to see today is that because you and I are made in the image of God, we are made to work. Right? We are made to work. Jesus said, you know, the Father is working until now, and, and I myself am working. That's in the Gospel of John. And, and i got to tell you that, that God works. Jesus works. We are made in the image of God. We are remade in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. You and I were made to work. All right, So we need to understand that work is a part of who we are in Christ. It's not separate and distinct, but it's a part of who you and I are. The other thing I really want you to notice out of this passage is that I want you to see, I just want you to pay attention to the numbers. This is Genesis 2.15. This isn't Genesis 3.15, Right? You and I were designed to work before the fall ever happened. There's a lot of times when we think that, well, if it hadn't been for Adam and Eve, if they just hadn't messed it all up for the rest of us, right, that you and I, would, we'd just be sitting on a beach, soaking in the sun, and the only thing we'd have to think about is whether or not we wanted to ask the angels to bring us lemonade or a fruit punch. You know, I think a lot of us have this idea that that's, that, you know, if, if they hadn't fallen, if sin hadn't entered the world, that the, we wouldn't have to work. We just could be able to just sit in our recliner and, and, and the world would just kind of happen. And that's not true. 
This is Genesis 2.15. God took Adam, he put him in the garden, and he said, guess what? I've got a job for you to do. I want you to be my partner in working in the world. And so what you need and I need to understand it is that we have been made to work. It's not something that's outside of God's spiritual dimension for us. It's a part of it. And what, one part I want to say to you is that we, we often think, well, you know, there's, there's my spiritual life and then there's my work life, right? Or we have the, well, you know, there's like sacred work, you know, like, well, what Pastor Neil does, you know, he, he marries people, he helps people through funerals and he preaches and that's spiritual work. But what I do is just secular work. I got to tell you, that's not true. All work is sacred. Now, obviously, there's some work that's not, right? Being a drug dealer, a thief, being an adult entertainment, I, I, those things are certainly outside. But I gotta, wh- whether, you, whether you design robots that will clean your floors without anybody pushing it, or whether you make people meals, or whether you teach people, whether you counsel people who are going through difficulties, whether you plow snow, whether you cut grass, all work is sacred in the eyes of God. It matters to God. Now, that's the second thing I really want to point out to you from this. Not only are we made to work, I want you to understand from this passage of Scripture that not only were we made to work, but you and I, it also means that all work is good work. Right? All work is good work. You know, we, we live in a time where we, we size people up and we value people by what kind of jobs they do, right? You know, if they're, if they're a medical doctor, they're a successful lawyer, they've started their own business and are really doing well and have a lot of people working for them, you know, we, we kind of look at those kind of the successful people. But if, if there's the people kind of down at the bottom of the, of, the, of the food chain, if you will, you know, those who are washing the dishes at the restaurants, the ones who are cleaning the hotel rooms where you stay, you know, the, you know, those kinds of things. You know, those jobs, they don't matter as much. Those people don't matter as much. I got to tell you, all work is good work. All work contributes to the world moving forward. And, 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 and you and I should not find our identity in what we do. You and I should find our identity in how we do what we do and why we do it. Let, let me just kind of back up and, you know, all work is good work. Really? All right. Think about a dishwasher, right? So we look at it and say, you know what? And I actually had somebody come to me, and, and they've, they had a job. They, they, they lost their job. They're in transition. And so in the meantime, they've taken a job as a dishwasher. And they're, saying, and they're saying, I can't believe how incredibly hard it is to be a dishwasher. You know, it's just, you're just busy all the time, this and that, et cetera, you know. And you said, plates are really big, and, you know, and et cetera. But imagine you go into a restaurant. And you go into the dinner, and, and you sit down at the table, and your waitress or waiter comes over, and they start to set your table up. And they plunk a glass down, and it's dirty. And you've got your fork and your knife, and, and you're looking, and it's got food stains on it. You know, or, or, or and they bring your plate, and, and there's still smeared ketchup on it from the last person who ate it. And, and so you say to your waiter or waitress, well, what's up? And they say, well, you know, listen, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't hurt anybody's dignity by asking them to be a dishwasher. So we figured our customers would just understand that we value people too much to have a dishwasher. You think you'd eat there? I mean, of course you wouldn't. 
right? I mean, so sometimes we look down on people who do these kinds of jobs. Sometimes those people look down on themselves as they're doing this job. I got to tell you, I don't want to eat in a, in a re- I want to eat in a restaurant that has the world's best dishwasher. I'd rather have a better dishwasher than a chef. You know, it's not a bad to have a good combination, but I'd rather at least not get poisoned, even if it doesn't taste very good, right? You know, and, and so, you know, and, and, and so we looked down, all work is good. Think about going into a hotel, you know, at the end of the entire day, you've been traveling, and you pull the sheets back, and, and you look at it, and you say, who died in there? You ever been in a public bathroom, like on a, like a side of an interstate, and it doesn't look like it's been clean like in a month? And you're thinking to yourself, can I hold this for another 50 miles, you know? I mean, because that kind of work matters, you know? And we have a tendency to want to look down on it, but I want you to understand that all work is good work. Now, that doesn't mean we can't grow and develop and et cetera, but all work is designed to make a contribution to what God is doing in the world. And so don't, don't look down on yourself. Don't look down on anybody else but on, by what they do. Evaluate people by, on the reasons on, on how they do their job and why, because those people are precious to us. Now, listen, as we've been working through this, and, and some of those same kind of thoughts are the, the various roles and et cetera, and none is above the other, that comes out in the, some of the imagery of the body of Christ, and you know, certain parts of the body have bigger roles than others. That doesn't mean they have any equal value. Those same principles apply to these job settings, but we do know that even though in Genesis 2 we are designed to work and God commissioned us to work, and we have a role to play in contributing to the functioning of the world, being partners with God, we also know that Genesis 3 made work a lot harder, right? You know, if, if, if it hadn't been for the fall, Adam and Eve wouldn't have had to struggle with weeds growing in the garden. They wouldn't have had to dr- struggle with drought. They would have gotten rain at the right exact time. They wouldn't have had storms that would destroy their cops, crops, all that kind of stuff. The, the introduction of sin into the world has made work a lot harder. <laughs> Some of you are saying amen, right? I mean, you, you, you're in your workplace and you're thinking, not only is it the job I do and the people I work for, it's the people I work with and the people I serve out of my job. You know, it's all hard, right? So does God have any counsel for us on how it is that you and I take work, which is hard, and it's actually a part of the way that God uses us, shapes us, teaches us, grows us, the way God transforms us into the people that he wants us to be. And this is where I want us to jettison forward to Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Colossians chapter 3 with me. This is on page 1002, okay? We were on page 2, now we're on page 1002, Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's probably troubling for us in the 21st century, and rightfully so, but there's some thought patterns that go with that. But there's some great instruction for us as we, we think about doing work in a difficult environment, places where we are stressed out, people aren't always kind, we don't always agree with people are doing stuff. How is it that you and I are supposed to function in that area? And what I want to look at is verses 22 of Colossians 3 down through verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, Paul here is speaking to the Colossians, and he's specifically addressing believers as they're trying to function in the home, right? And so in verse 18, he talks to wives. Then he talks to husbands in verse 19. Then he talks to children. And then he talks about fathers as they watch over and lead their children. And then he turns to slaves. Slaves would have been the part of any, literally any Roman world household in those days. And he offers up these words. 
says, slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work while only being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically. I love the way he puts it in Ephesians, dealing with the same theme in chapter 6. He says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, right? You know, as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord because you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. And he goes on into chapter 4, and this is where the divisions that entered into the Scriptures by chapter and verses literally thousands of years after they were written don't do us a lot of good because here this thought clearly goes with what goes before. He says, Masters, those who are at the head of the household, supply your slaves with what is right and fair since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Now we look at this passage of Scripture and we say, well, why didn't Paul just say, you know, why didn't he just condemn slavery? Why didn't he just say, Masters, just... Set your slaves free kind of idea. And, and so, and, and it, in some ways, it's a fair question, right? And, and I, I, some of that is understanding the context of what's going on. There, there is sometimes, as a teacher of truth, you speak to the culture. There are sometimes when, as a teacher of truth, you're speaking to those who are trying to live in the culture, right? Paul here in this context, he is trying to speak to the Christians who are trying to live in the culture. Now, there are New Testament principles, not only in the Gospels, but in Paul's teachings, principles even in this, that actually led to the demise of slavery. And then it reemerged at a later time, and we have that in our, our history as a country. But, but in this context, Paul isn't trying to address the institution of slavery from a cultural perspective. He's pastorally caring about those who are worshiping in the church, who are actually slaves, and, and saying, this is, how, this is what you need to do to function as a believer in the setting that you're in. So he's not speaking to the culture. He's speaking to the Christians trying to live in the culture. I, I could be doing the same thing. I could be speaking about cultural issues that are facing us as a nation and what God's Word says to that, but I could also be speaking to you as believers saying, how do you deal with this in the culture that we have? Now, Slavery, then, was a little different than the slavery that we experienced in our country. Our, the slavery in our country was, it was just awful, right? I mean, it was just, I mean, we, we, they looked at, at, at slaves as literally being just tools. There was no respect for them. They had no rights. If you were born from slaves, you were a slave. You were a slave for a lifetime. You were completely at the discretion of your master. They could kill you, maim you rape you, do whatever. I mean, that's not the kind of slavery that was operational in the world in the context of Paul speaking to it. Slaves at that, those point in time, they were not slaves for life. Usually you were slave for like 10 or 15 years and then you got released. Slaves had rights. If they were abused, if their masters kind of, kind of um, violated the contract, if you will, slaves were able to take their masters to court and sometimes got justice. It's interesting that slaves own slaves in some settings. You know, it just kind of depended on where they came from. So it was a very different environment. I'm not endorsing the environment, but it was a very different environment than what we had in our American history. But Paul here is speaking to them, and he says, you know, you're a slave, so what are you supposed to do? You're in a household. You're a part of the family. You're seeing 
Wives and husbands interact, children, whatever, and they're all interacting. How are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to be who you're supposed to be in that setting? And he offers us some tremendous insight. And here's one of the things that I, I, I want you to see. I, there's two major truths, but I'm going to give you some subpoints under, under both of these. But the first work is that all work is done for God. I don't care what job you're in. I don't care if you're driving a bus, engineering a spaceship to go to Mars, or pumping somebody's septic tank. All work is done for God. Look at the end of verse 24. It says, you know, it says, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically. It's something done for the Lord and not for men. And then look at the end. You serve the Lord Christ. All work that we do, whether it's managing a household at home and, and keeping the house clean and preparing the meals and being efficient with all the other pieces and caring for children and nurturing them, or whether you are the head of a, of a major of a company, etc., all work essentially comes back to being a process by which you, it is a context in which you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not like you have your spiritual life where you serve God over here and then I go off to work. But your job, the way you, your context, you are serving the Lord as a part of that. And he gives some very specific advice or counsel, spiritual direction to slaves who they're saying, okay, you know, I'm not really serving my master. I'm serving God as I serve my master. And so he gives them several things. First of all, one of the things he says, you know what? You should serve enthusiastically. That means when you go to work, you should have good attitude, positive attitude, and you should try to do everything you can to be a good employee, productive and efficient for the day. doesn't matter what role you have. If you're working for yourself, getting paid by the hour, or you know, whatever, you have a tendency to, <laughs> you, want, you want to be very good at that, right? You know, if you contracted to, to do a job for X amount of money, if you can get it done in less hours, you're, you're going to make more money per hour. So you work at it. So he, he said, you should go to work enthusiastically. You know, you should, you should dig in, try to do the best that you can. Not asking you to be nutso where you work so hard you can't go back to work the next day. But you're supposed to put in a good day's work for a day's pay. And you're supposed to do it enthusiastically from the heart. A lot of our struggles with our vocations is that, is that the, the, the heart of the problem with our vocations, just like it was with our money, the heart of the problem with our money, the heart of the problem with our vocation, it's really a problem of the heart. Some of it's just our attitude. You know, and, you know, I, I told the first service that, you know, one of the things I learned when I was, you know, I, during a lot of my high school years and my college years, I worked for my dad's electrical contracting business. One of the, there, there is a drawback from living with your boss. You know, it, it's, it's, it, it has a drawback from that. And, and what, this, this is where it was for me. You know, I'd, I'd be out of school for the summer, right? So, you know, you get out of work at three, I worked seven to three thirty, and, you know, with a half hour for lunch and et cetera. And, and so you want to go out and do something, and you'd get home at 11, 11.30, 12, 12.30, you know. And then, then my, I hear my father saying to me, he says, well, how are you going to get up, get out the door by 6.15, and put in a good eight hours work tomorrow if you're not getting home until X time, and you're staying up, and you're not getting enough sleep? And there's a real drawback, you know, from living with your boss. So that's why I moved out and never moved back in. And it's why I don't work for my dad anymore either. You know, but, but, you know, and, but now I work for the Lord, and I haven't been able to simply get away from him either, right? You know? And so it kind of all applies. In, but part of that is, how, how are you going to go in and give me a good day's work if you're exhausted? 
You know, and, and there's a way in which we need to go to work enthusiastically. I also think as you read between the lines here, you can summarize together and says, you know, we need to work with excellence. We need to have this internal drive that leads us to work for excellence. Look at verse 20. It says, don't, work while be, don't only work while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. You know, it's not just like when the boss comes around, you speed up and you do really well, and as soon as they're gone, it's like, you know, where's my coffee, you know, and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and there are lots of jobs where you're pretty much out on your own a lot. I mean, this happens all the time, right? I mean, guys who drive up, and, you know, we had guys who came uh, about a month ago, and they delivered a new stove and refrigerator to the church office. They're gone all day long. You know, they don't, they don't, the office doesn't know how much time they take in between deliveries and et cetera. They can just go off there. You know, my father's business, his electrical contracts, they were sending guys, a lot of them were working by themselves. So they were going off to this job, another one to that one, and this one, nobody really knew if they showed up at 7. And this is back before they could track your phone and see what time it arrived on the job site. They can do that now, but but you couldn't do that then. So, you know, did the guy get there at 7? Did he work a full eight hours? Did he put in a good effort? Was he goofing off, talking a lot? What was he doing? You know, there's a way in which you and I need to be committed to working with excellence. Not just when people are watching us so we can just make an impression, but from the inside out, eight hours a day, whatever it is, we're trying to work with excellence. I, I think the, the, the third thing that you can really see out of this is not only should we work enthusiastically and with excellence, all this because all work is done to the Lord, but I think it means we also have to work ethically. You know, we have to work with a sense of ethics. You know, in, in chapter 4, verse 1, you see the statement says, Master, supply your slaves with what's right and fair. What he's saying is that, you know what? You're the master. You've got control. But you still need to act with a certain ethical standard because you've got a master as well, right? You, you have a different role, but you all have the same standing before God. And you need to treat them right. You need to act ethically in that one of my favorite passages is out of Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. You know, it's the, it's the imagery of being like at, you know, in, in the market buying something. You know, you, you, go, to the, you go to Star Market, or you go to uh, uh, Market Basket or Hannaford's or any of those now, and you, you go up and you say, well, I, I want a pound of cheese, right? And they, what do they do? They toss it up on top of a scale, right? Well, you're trusting that that scale is, is calibrated correctly. Well, in the old days, they didn't have digital ones, right? They just literally had a weight. And this passage says, you know what, uh, an, an unjust scale is detestable to the Lord, right? But God takes delight in a just weight. So when you go in and say, you know, I, I, want, a, I want a pound of cheese, and they put a weight up on the other end of the scale, it's a full pound. It's not just an ounce or two under, you know. It's, 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 God values ethics for us. Who we are as we do what we do in the way that we do it with the heart that we do, it all matters. It's all part of the way that God shapes us and grows us and uses us. And I got to tell you, I think that's getting harder and harder for you guys. Maybe not so much in my profession, though there's certainly pressures along the lines to compromise and do this and that. But, but for some of you, it, you know, you, you are working in environments where everything is about the bottom line. Where they say, you know, it's, it's the, the biggest thing is how can we make more money? You know, and and I, I just thought about some of the experience we've had. You know, you, we, have a pay, we had a payroll company here at the church office, right? So they, they were doing our payroll and et cetera, and we've been with them for four or five years, and the fees kind of kept creeping up, so we, we finally shopped it out. 
right? So we, we called some of them, well, what would you charge us to do it? And they came in at less than half of the old payroll company. And so we, you know, call them up and say, well, you know, well, we're going to switch over to this other company. And I'm like, oh, we have this special new plan out. You know, you th- and, and, and they said, and, and they're like, well, why, why won't you consider staying with us? And I said, I don't trust you anymore. I just don't trust you anymore. You'll gouge us unless we keep an eye on you. We had some issues with some of our utilities, the propane and that kind of stuff. You know, you're under contract. It keeps coming, and then you, you find out that you can get it a dollar cheaper a gallon somewhere else. And you call them, oh, no, 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 we, we, we'll make an adjustment to your bill. Well, why didn't you start there? You know, anybody from the cable company ever call you up and said, we'd like to lower your bill today? Or your cell phone company, right? It just doesn't happen, right? You know, and I know there's reasons behind all that, but and it's sometimes as, a, as you're working in that environment, you don't have any control over that, but there's aspects that you do have control over. And the way that you treat other people that you work with, the people you work for, and the customers that you work with, you need to treat them ethically. And that's a part of doing our job in a way where we're really serving the Lord. All work is really done for God. Now, I want to give you one last truth. And then we'll wrap up. I also want you to see that all work is spiritually valuable. All work is spiritually valuable. Look at, look at um, the beginning part in verse, verse 24. It says, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. He's talking to these slaves who are in a family, they're putting their time in, you know, maybe they're just at the beginning of their 15-year trek to earn their freedom or whatever, and it's demanding, and, you know, the, the family's saying, do this, do this, do this, da, 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 all kind of stuff, and, and there's a lot of pressure, and family's gone, and I'm just going to goof off and relax, I don't feel like that, all kind of stuff, and, he, and he's saying, listen, what you do, do it enthusiastically, it's something done for the Lord and not for men, and he says, and know that God's paying attention. God's seeing what you're doing, and not only through your good works, in your faith, but in the way that you are doing your job, you are laying up treasures in heaven. It's a part of the way that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. What you do at work, and, and, and I know for some of you are saying, you don't know where I work. <laughs> you don't know what it's like. So, but what you do, how you do it, and who you are as you do it is actually a part of the way in which you you earn, you come to experience the blessings of God in your life. All work matters spiritually. It's a part of the way we make an investment in eternity is in the way that we do our jobs. I, I think there's a, a real practical application that comes out of that idea that all of our work is spiritual. It's interesting in Ephesians chapter 4, Sorry, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, the 28th verse. Paul's just rambling through a few things, and he says, you know, and those of you who used to be thieves, you know, you were, you were a thief. You became a believer. You can't steal anymore, right? He says, well, go get a job. And he says, and the reason why you should get a job is so that you'll be able to share with those who are in need. Part of the reason why your job is spiritual is part of the way that God resources you so that you can make the, better, the world a better place by ministering to other people and helping to meet their needs. It's not all just about you. Part of the reason why you and I work, we earn an income, it comes into our household, it's not even able to give first fruits for the Lord, but also to hold some of it so that we can make other people's lives better. And that's spiritual work. You know, it's not just about meeting our need, but it's actually having something that we can share with others who are in need. 
And sometimes it doesn't take just the form of money. Sometimes it takes the form of time. You know, I, I was talking to the first service, you know, you know, we, there's a lot of two-income families now, right? Both, both husband and wife both got to work in order to make ends meet and et cetera. And, and out of that, maybe the thing that, the only thing they're really going to have to offer to help alleviate need is, is money. But some other contexts are where one, one spouse is able to earn enough of an income and, and the other one only has to work part-time or maybe doesn't have to work outside the home at all. And one of the precious commodities you can give to relieve need is time. Is time. It's, it's amazing to me how often, just in a, in a church setting like Hope Chapel, we just, somebody just needs a ride here to a doctor's appointment or this or, or that, and, 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 and it's just priceless to have people who have the time to help alleviate need, to take care of need. But all work is spiritual. It makes a difference because not only does it accrue to our eternal 401K, but it also makes a difference in the lives of other people right now. And that really resonates with Jesus saying, I, you know, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. So a lot of us, hopefully, are truly asking the prayer, how is it that we can get closer to God? How, how is it that we can grow in our faith? How is it that we can experience more of God's plan for our lives, more of God's blessing for our lives? And it, and it really just simply boils down and says, whatever you do, Whatever you're doing, really make sure you're doing it all for the glory of God. Whether you're a student, whether you're a contractor, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a physician, whether you're an investment counselor, whatever you are, do it all for the glory of God. Let's start. Let's just pray for just a moment. God, truly help us to define ourselves not by the job we do, but who we are in you. And with that, Father, help us to define our identity by how we do what we do and why we do it. And let it all be done for your glory as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.